Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2018, episode 185, Navigating Consent in Gaming. Presented by Sam Saltiel, Brand Robbins, Camden Wright, and Eli Eaton. A costume. Okay, we're going to start. Sender will be back in a moment. I'm sure we have about 15 minutes to do this. So, welcome everybody. This is Navigating Consent in Gaming. Uh, in this uh, open panel, we're going to be talking about how gaming fits, how consent fits into gaming why it's important, and most importantly, both how we can use tools in games as well as tools and communal practices to build a community of consent that understands what that means and why it is important, not just for safety, but to actively encourage better role-playing and better communication as people. Uh, I'll be the moderator for this panel. I'm Brian Robbins. I've been playing role-playing games for longer than most of you have been alive, um, and... Whitney! Whitney! <laughs> I have the amazing ability to scare my friends out of the room at a drop of a hat, apparently. So, this is awesome. Uh, our panelists are going to introduce themselves and talk about why they are cool. Remember, if they don't say enough about why they are cool, you are free to ask questions to get them to follow up. We will start with Eli. Uh, yeah, so I've been gaming for like four or five years now. Mostly I run and facilitate games, though I recently started designing them. Um, but in terms of this topic, I think I have more experience in it as um, a facilitator of queer, uh, nerdy events and making safe spaces, and consent is a big part of that. So, Fabulous. Camden. Uh, I'm Camden Wright. Uh, I write and design games, uh, particularly games that are about uh, human emotions and uh, about empathy. And so. Um, it's something that hits really close to me when you're asking people to be vulnerable at a table. Uh, I think it's really important to get their buy-in, um, to get that consent, and so um, I do a lot of work uh, in my own design to try and include those things. Cool. Sam. Hi. So I'm Sarah, or Sam Saltiel. Um, so I have been writing, I've been publishing for about the past seven years, generally on topics of, of mental illness and gendered violence, and so consent is a very big topic in terms of both of those. Um, I got my start in game design when I worked on a large-scale alternate reality game, which, for those of you who don't know, that's a game that embeds itself in real life and doesn't acknowledge that it's a game, which leads to some weirdness in terms of player consent and that it's not really an experience that they like, sat down at a table to do. Um, I interned with Magpie over the summer, um, which has been like an introduction into more of the tabletop world, and I am one of the IGDN sponsorship winners. I think that qualifies, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All of you, excellent, I like that. Okay, so for our first topic, uh, and I'd kind of like to keep this quick, I'm hoping that everybody here is already down for this, but let's just have a few words about why each of you think that consent is important in gaming. Like, why did you want to do this panel? Why was this something that you cared about? Um, yeah, well, uh, we already all have to do enough things that we don't really want to do in our day-to-day -day life. So why continue that in our favorite hobby? 
Um, so I, I often, when I'm facilitating a game, will give a little speech when it comes to um, any sort of uh, consent or safety tools. And um, I really think that by getting active, enthusiastic consent, by giving people uh, the ability to say no as well as to say yes, um, we make gaming better. The types of stories that we can tell, the types of games that we can play, and the variety increases and makes the entire industry, pushes it more towards that sort of, what I view as that artistic ideal. Um, I think I come to gaming with the perspective of it being another art practice. Um, and so for all forms of art, I tend to view it in a very similar form as, as kink, where it's very important, like, you do get to push your boundaries, but it's important that you remain safe. And so for art, you can't just grab an audience and be like, look at my art. Like, they, they have to be willing to engage with it in some way. And I think, like, navigating consent is very important for that in making sure that they, even while they're grappling with some topics that might be uncomfortable, still are able to remain safe because it's not just about you as the designer or the GM or the artist like you are not the only person involved in this experience it's important to acknowledge everyone else's personhood in this experience right. um, and so I heard two things on opposite sides of the table that in my mind go very well together but I'm not sure they would for everybody because we're like we have to do enough things in life that we don't want to do why continue it in our favorite hobby gaming is also or can also be art and sometimes arts function is to make us confront things we might not be 100% comfortable confronting. And you already said a little bit about this, but um, Eli, how do you feel that consent can help with that? Like, is there a way that proper consent practices can work towards bridging that gap? Bridging things that are maybe uncomfortable or? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, like, yeah, so I was a little flippant in my thing. There are things that we, uh, we do in life that we don't necessarily want to do and that we don't necessarily feel will enrich us, but we gotta do that because that's a obligation we have. But um, I think uh, there are also things that we want to do that we know will be uncomfortable, but um, that might enrich us. And so consent allows us to have that support uh, to know that like if you jump into this thing that's uncomfortable and it goes really south that you can back out of it. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I think maybe a good example of this would be Camden is running a game here that's called One Child's Heart. <laughs> and I think for that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think the consent rules for that game started with how carefully you wrote up the pitch for that game. Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell the, the, the audience what the game is about? And Sure. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the game is about um, you play child welfare professionals who have the opportunity to enter into the uh, traumatic memories of a child and help them reframe those from the inside. It's not time travel. You can't go back and change the past, but you can adjust how they see those things and the fact that you, can, you have the ability to say, you know what, this sucks, and it's not your fault. Um, you have the ability to listen and uh, give them some sort of voice uh, and the feeling to be heard. And inside of that, uh, these memories, um, because the subject matter is so difficult, um, I, uh, every memory comes with a list of uh, content warning. 
And at the beginning of the game, before we start anything, there are no secrets or anything, I will go through each individual memory. And instead of later asking for somebody to tap out, which those tools are also in place, but they have the ability to say, yes, I'm okay with that. And if someone says no, we pull that out until everyone says yes. Um, and so I think that the more opportunities that we can create to put those, those moments of yes to when you are presenting somebody with a game to be as honest as humanly possible uh, about what they're about to get themselves into, um, I think is important. Absolutely. Does that sound about like what you had already summarized at the beginning? Yeah, I think I was mostly just thinking about uh, how important it is to make a distinction between dislike and lack of safety. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, For sure. Okay. Not, not in no. that you guys both, like, not in that you didn't make that, but I was no, just thinking elaborating. Yeah. No, I'm just like, say a little more about that, about the distinction between being unsafe and being uncomfortable. Yeah. Was so that, I, sorry, those weren't quite the exact words you used, I don't know. Dislike. Yeah, um, okay. Because I think that's a large critique that's used of things like trigger warnings or this idea of safe space is that people think that it means like you just don't engage with things that you don't like or don't agree with which i think is fundamentally different from what it's it's uh, purpose is which is that like do i want to do my bio homework no i'm not going to enjoy it but it's not going to put me in danger in any way in terms of uh, emotional well-being like it's not going to remind me of past trauma hopefully not <laughs> I guess it depends on the bio homework but <laughs> I, I don't know zombies and everything <laughs> but it's this crucial distinction between like maybe you're not going to like everything that's going to happen at on the, on the game space you're not going to feel comfortable you're not going to agree with it but that is a fundamentally different thing from not feeling safe and I feel like even as a designer or as a GM, making sure that you make your players aware that it, their consent is important will automatically put them into a headspace of like feeling more okay with their own discomfort. I think that there are, are spaces where you're like, okay, I, I feel safe to be uncomfortable, if that makes sense. Yeah, like um, part of the write-up talks of, uh, for this panel talks about informed consent, and I say like, Content warnings are a very like, good example of that. It's not that um, a content warning will necessarily make someone go, I'm not going anywhere near that, but it allows them to know that that's what they're treading into. And sometimes that's enough. Like, a like if people have anxiety, the unknown tends to be the scariest thing to them. But letting them know the boogeyman that might be out there might bring them into your game. And we've talked about Bluebeard's Bride as a prime example of this in terms of like, that's not a game that's comfortable for anyone. I've made a player cry by accident. It's just like, it's, it's not going to be comfortable, but as it, it should be safe in, like, does, in a way. Does everyone here know what Bluebeard's Bride is? Woo! Bluebeard's Bride! Okay. <laughs> okay, I thought so. I just wanted to make sure. Please continue. Yeah, so like, it's, it's, I guess, narratively not going to be safe, but the space in which you play this game is going to be a space in which it's okay to touch these dangerous things. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, the, the space we're talking about is the space where I do a lot of my work. Um, I'm a developmental editor these days for other people's games, and right now I'm working on a game about the uh, Paris Commune of 1879 and about uh, German women married to Jewish men in Berlin from 1933 to 1943. So obviously this kind of consent is very important for that. People need to know what they're getting into and consent to it because you can't 
build empathy without strength. You can't have strength without a feeling of safety and understanding, or at least it's hard to. But is there a need for consent in games that are like light and funny? Like if I'm going and you know killing some dragons and raiding some kobolds and making some gold, consent's not important, right? <laughs> I have judgment. Okay, <laughs> judgment, Camden, judgment. Sarcastically leading question. Yeah, that's good. I'm not known for being sarcastic or leading. I don't know where this came from. So yeah, I uh, it's it's actually something that it comes up pretty uh, pretty regularly. Um, people say, well, it's it's just me and my friends, or you know, I don't run those type of games. And the fact of the matter is, particularly when you're in a public setting. Um, you don't ever know who's there, and you don't know that um, that um, I got sick uh, when I was really sick when I was a kid, and they fed me mint chocolate chip ice cream. And just looking at or a description of green mint chocolate chip ice cream freak, freaks me out. You have no idea, and there's no reasonable way that you would. And so, anytime you have the ability for somebody to advocate and to say yes or no, I'm not into that, regardless of the 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 theme of of the of the session I think is important and you don't lose anything mm -hmm. by giving people agency to control what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, the really important piece of consent is that it should forever be ongoing and people can withdraw it at any time for any reason. Um I think I was formulating my thoughts about like how we build in, in consent and I think it's important that like when players sit down at the table that is a form of consent but tabletop RPGs specifically are so fluid there's so much improvising that they yeah you just don't know what's going to come up and so it's important that they are continually consenting to the experience in in kind of like minor nuanced ways that like maybe don't you don't think about as consent, but they still are like agreeing, I'm going to sit at this table, I'm going to continue having this experience with you. Because just them sitting down is not like an overreaching, ah, yes, I like the entire next three hours, no matter what you do, it's gonna be fine. Yep. Uh, and I think one of the things uh, that my history in role-playing games has taught me about that is it's also important because not only do you not know who else is going to be sitting down at the table, sometimes you might not even know for yourself. Yep. Like, I remember a D&D game with dragons and kobolds and etc. that I played, never mind how many years ago, it was a long time, um, in which one of my friends had just had their first kid. Kid was like six weeks old. It was his first time out of the house since he had the kid. We were just playing. It's Dungeons and Dragons, dragons raiding the village, and I just not even thinking about it, it was as the GM, I was like, yeah, and then the dragon sets fire to the house and you can hear the kids screaming inside. And he's like, nope, hard no. He didn't know, we didn't think about it, it was, but all of a sudden his life circumstance had changed and something that 11, 14, 16 months before we might have thought was just fine, not even thought about it, all of a sudden had him getting up and walking away from the table. Um, and I would like to be like I was 100% enlightened and dealt with that well, but that wasn't the case and it took us a long time to recover from that and in retrospect it was dumb because we are more important than the game so any more words about why consent is important as a baseline um, if a player doesn't consent to something that you put forth it, it's important to not take that personally and like I'm sure as a GM or designer you're like yes this idea was so cool but it's like they're a part of this too. You're not some like puppet master who's just 
guiding them through this, it's a collaborative experience. I will say too, a lot of people in this community talk a lot about wanting to draw marginalized people to their games and their events. Well, if you don't have a strong culture of consent where they feel emboldened to like, where they have a space of agency to actually like put it in place, whereas like outside world they may not feel that way, they're not gonna come to your game. That's not fun for them, so. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, um, to what uh, Sam said, uh, I think that the more we can kill the idea that as either a facilitator or a designer that it's some sort of adversarial relationship, mm -hmm. um, the quicker we can destroy that, the better. <laughs> because we should be supporting. Uh, any uh, questions from the room? Yeah, Phil. Yeah, I think one of the challenges to, to go to that point is how do we, how do we, um, how do we, how do we be able to project that we are having you know this kind of consenting environment, especially like in a con situation where people are just like looking through a con book, picking things. Like people come to my table, it's fine. Within the first few minutes, you'll figure out that this is you know this is a very consenting environment. I'm going to go through safety tools and content warnings and all that. But how do we let people know before that point? Mm. Oh my God, like, I swear I didn't plant that question. <laughs> <laughs> So for our next topic, we're going to be talking about how we as a community can build practices of consent and common understanding for what they mean. That was so well done, Matt. Thank you. Um, okay, first, let me actually just step in on that one second. So what are, just because I think everybody here, this is going to be old news, so let's see if we can fly through these. What are some common consent tools that are used in tabletop and more to help build consent? Maybe we could have the audience. So. <laughs> okay, yeah, call it out. What what are, what tools are people here familiar with for that are like consent tools? X card. Lines and veils. Lines and veils. Open door. Um, right. The support flower. Uh, what is breeze? Pause and rewind? No. The, uh, yes, yep. Script change. Script change. Yes. By uh, Bo Sheldon, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so does everybody know what those are? Everybody know what the X card is? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, everybody know what the safety flower is? Okay. We're getting some head shakes. Can you describe the safety flower? Yeah, so um, it is basically a flower about, I have one in my bag right now. Would you like me to pull it out? I would love to see a safety flower <laughs> right now. I'll cover another on. one while she's looking for it. <laughs> Please do. Uh, open door. Yeah. So open door is the ability to always get up and leave uh, either a game either as a pause, like I just need to get some air, or uh, nope, this game's way more than I thought I was going to get into. I just need to go and that it's okay, that there's an established, like the game will not fall apart, no one's gonna be mad at you, yeah. um, you just, it's okay to go. And also it's just as uh, my addition to that is even if the game does fall apart, who what fucking cares? Yeah, right. <laughs> or more important than the game. Yeah. Um, so this is the, the support flower, safety flower, it has all sorts of names, consent flower, but basically the way it works is the center, red right here, functions as an X card, so that's a hard note, that thing out, gone. Um, but it also has layers so you can say yes around the outside, which is the like, I'm good, push it. Um, and then the yellow in the middle here is like, oh, okay, like don't go anymore, please. This is, let's just stay in this area and don't go any harder. Um, yeah, I have some thoughts about it, having played with it a bunch, but I will hold my tongue. And let it, it's also similar, there's a, there's a LARP one that works uh, similarly that's cut and break, mm -hmm. but there's also uh, cut, break, accelerate. Because ah. uh, cut is just stop. Everything stops. I need the whole room to stop. Break is keep playing, but slow down on what you're doing. Pump the brakes. Uh, accelerate is yeah. come on, man. More, 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 more. I need more. Um, and that works both ways. Lines and veils. Anyone want to do that one? 
Okay, I will. Go ahead. Okay, so uh, lines are kind of a hard thing past which, uh, like at the beginning of a session, typically you have a tone conversation and then people have the opportunity to say, this is my line. I do not want to have any uh, abuse of animals in, in this session. I don't want to have anything that deals with uh, childhood trauma or and you know um, that's a it's kind of like I don't want to I don't want to deal with this yeah veils are sort of a little pullback of that it's like okay uh, sexual content is great but when it gets to a point we put it off camera we put it behind the veil yep yeah. perfect um, so those are some of the common uh, I think those are most of the most commonly used consent slash safety mechanics because there tends to be some overlap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, are, so how do I want to phrase this question to not be overly sarcastic and leading? <laughs> uh, just lead them, we love it. Okay, when you're a designer, is it okay to just be like, see X card go on? No. 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 Oh, shit, because that's what I do. Okay, please tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> I think there are very crucial ways as a designer to be able to build into consent. Um, a, a very, like, an example that comes to mind is, if any of you are familiar with Cartel, um, in character creation, there's a playbook that is the spouse. And I think it's written in Cartel that when you're setting that up, then you ask any of the other players if they consent to being the spouse of this playbook. Um, and to, they consent to this connection. And if not, then it's just an NPC. But it's this really important moment of, like, this is something we would apply to your character, is that okay with you? And that is written into the very design of the game. I think that's like a very crucial way that designers can, can make sure that their game is not just relying on GMs to use the X card, because GMs are, might not always use the X card. Right. And Camden, I know you'd already talked a little bit about One Child's Heart. Um, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. that, like, that game is designed to invoke consent from the beginning. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, there are, and there's several, uh, it uses lines and veils and it uses the X card, but it also has that active consent piece. And uh, the structure of the game has built in um, uh, opportunities to debrief both in character and out of character. So people have an opportunity to discuss what's going on to have those conversations about, I don't like what you said, or you know, I think that this is what we should do, so that they can have that actual uh, moment to, uh, to build and actively consent about you know, the path forward. It's not just that problem to the problem to the problem to the problem. Yeah, problem. so you set a foundation. Like both yeah, yeah, so that's what you're saying. You, you, you build your game from the beginning to encourage consent like from character generation through plot generation oh, yeah. at I, every step. You I have trust it. issues, so I built as much into it as humanly possible. I think you might be the only person in role-playing that has trust issues. <laughs> 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 Eli. Yeah, well, I think it plays into the question. Phil. Phil, that Phil asked about how do we show that we care about consent. Have a frank discussion in your game content about consent. <laughs> I like to build in like X card and explaining it and other things. Um, one technique that didn't get brought up that I like and is not necessarily seen as consent is meta in LARPs. The, the permission to step out of character and clarify something you're confused about or ask someone a permission to do a thing is very important. So explaining these sorts of things and why they help, I think, is, is 
like plays to what you asked, Bill. Like, yeah. He also seemed a little bit concerned about like even before a player steps foot. Mm-hmm. So that would probably go to like how do you describe your game and like uh, maybe you put content warnings and that's like a way to signal. But even like those can get a little bit controversial. So you might just put like contains themes of this and this and this and this acknowledgement of like I am telling you what's going to be in here. I think that's like a very subtle way to still signal to your players like I am. I want to make sure that you know what you're getting into and that you're consenting to this. I think that from an organizational level too, um, I've, the last few conventions that I've been to, um, they, uh, it was required that there are consent tools in place. And one of the best examples, uh, which was Breakout uh, this spring, they actually went just around. Largely due to the very hard work of uh, Kate Bullock yep. and Ray Shelke, just to give them their due. Absolutely. Yep. They actually had people go around and check in with whoever was facilitating a game at the beginning to make sure that they actually understood uh, the, the consent tools that were there, the safety tools that were in place, and to reinforce the fact that they were going to be used. And so it created from that very foundational buying a ticket going in, you knew that whatever you were playing, you would have some agency and some voice. And I think that's another important piece outside of game design. And Eli, I know that you've like done a lot of work in community organization and setting up queer-friendly spaces. Like, mm-hmm. How do you uh, integrate consent from the ground up in that? Um, yeah, it's having um, conversations like uh, like uh, harassment policies is a big part of that, um, and in in those harassment policies, giving people the permission to talk about like talk to someone, and and uh, laying out what that will look like, what the process looks like. Um, what else? Uh, I mean, this maybe gets into safe space issues. So tell me if I'm too much in the weeds, but. Um, allowing uh, people to remove others who just have shown time and time again that they don't care about consent, you know? Well, I mean, I think that's kind of foundational because one of the ways you build a society that cares about consent is by removing those who don't. Yeah. All the heads nodding. Like, I'm getting no pushback in this panel. I don't know what's going on here. Come on. I mean, I think it is important to like, uh, removing someone from a community should not be taken Absolutely. lightly, yeah. though. That is like, and I think sometimes, unfortunately, that can be yeah. u- used as a, like, the thing where that we're talking about here is that we can't control how these things are used in the world. Like, I can yeah. say that safety tools should be used um, not for spaces where you're uncomfortable, but for spaces where you feel unsafe, but, like, I, I can't control that that's how they're used, and I think it's, it's this sort of yeah. similar thing where, like, an individual who is, like, threatening other, yeah, but a lot of the times there are, are people who might be more marginalized and just express things that other people don't agree with, and oh, that yeah. can be used as a form of exclusion. Oh, yeah, that's one not to take lightly for sure. Yeah. But I'm just saying it is it is something you can do, particularly in cases uh, when we're not talking about people who are marginalized, when they're people of power who keep stepping in your space, you know, and keep disregarding people's consent. So, yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I am going to redirect at this point, even though this is a powerful and important topic, just yeah. because... It, it is in the weeds, I get that. No, yeah. I, it's, no, it's just that it deserves its own panel. I yeah, that's what true. that is. Um, so we've talked a lot about uh, consent and safety, uh, almost like they're the same thing. Are they the same thing? Um, to some extent. Like, they're not synonymous, but I do go hand in hand 
Yes. 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 Yeah. Um, rather than trying to do a leading question because I'm not smart enough on a Friday afternoon to do that, um, I kind of feel like consent is necessary for safety. Like without consent, you're not going to have a safe culture of role playing, at least. Uh, however, consent can do more than just build safety. Consent actually can make our games better, more fun, more engaged for everybody. And now I'm just going to pick randomly on Camden. Camden, thoughts about this subject? <laughs> um, I, I spoke a little bit about that earlier, yep. and I, I think that um, a, a game like Bluebridge Bride is a, is a great example. Um, if you are um, some people like to be scared. Some people like to explore things like body horror and um, uh, that intense emotional trauma attached to all those things. And um, to be able to push your boundaries, like um, so, for a um, so if you go to see a, a terrible uh, a horror movie, um, something that's really intense, you one you get a trailer to kind of figure out if you want to go see it. And then two, um, you have ultimate power. Nobody's going to stop you to walk in, walk out. Um, you don't have, there's no sort of social stigma attached to that for the most part. Um, in a game where you are actively writing the story um, and you're collaborating on this, um, I think that having that tool to safety to push for everybody to push themselves into that maximum state of discomfort because that's what you're looking for um, in a in a safe way makes the story better, makes that emotional experience more impactful, mm -hmm. and um, is is no matter what you're doing can is kind of where the sweetest best spots can live. I think it also keeps people from railroading their players. In terms of like, if you put in spaces like this, isn't is stepping out entirely outside of safety or anything, but it's just if you give your players a chance to say yes or no to an experience, then they they might choose no, but that'll 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 mean that they'll have a better experience because they're opting in and opting out of the sort of experience that they want. If that makes sense. Well, I, it makes perfect sense. I mean, like everybody here has played a role playing game, yeah. Your best thing about your best role-playing game experiences, were they the ones when you followed along like a good monkey and did what the GM wanted you to? Or were they a time where you were actually able to have your character do something you cared about in a way that you deeply were invested in? And I think consent, and encouraging consent, encourages a cycle of feedback and positivity that allows us to hone in on what we care about together and focus our games on those things. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's, that's pretty much what you said. I was, I, I was just trying to recap. Like you guys are the ones saying things. I just get to come along and regurgitate it later and sound like I'm smart. Like You're more eloquent than I said it. So I, I don't think that's true, though. I think you just you didn't hear it as eloquently as you said it. Um, so what about? Actually, okay. Let's let's try this. So. And I'm probably going to say it wrong again because you've only told me four times, and I, I, my brain is like Swiss cheese. A AR games are augmented, alternate, alternate reality, alternate games. reality games. Okay, so you talked at the beginning a yeah. little bit about that and about how they get weird around consent because everyone remembers their games where you're playing out in the real world, but you are not acknowledging you're playing a game. Can you talk a little bit about consent in those games? Yeah. So it's not even that players aren't acknowledging that it's a game; it's that the game itself doesn't acknowledge no. that it's a game. So it's like if Can you give us an example. Yeah. I mean, so I have an example committed to heart. In two two thousand and one, there was a Steven Spielberg movie named AI, and one of the first alternate reality games was developed as a marketing technique, and it was called The Beast. 
And the way that people stumbled across this was that there was a poster um, for the movie that credited someone named Gianni Insalo, a sentient machine therapist. And people were like, what is that? That's not a real job. Like, let me go look this up. And that led them to a website of a fictional college professor from the future who was researching the murder of her friend. So they kept following this trail um, that never, ever explicitly acknowledged that it was a game. The designers never acknowledged that they were designing it, um, but there were things like actors that they could interact with in real life. There were phone calls. There were GPS coordinates with dead drops. Like it, Once they started to engage, and this game came to them in their real life, and it was extremely transmedia and out in the real world, which is very, very cool, but also can like I said, get a little bit weird around consent because they never were like, I want to play a game, let me now play this game. And so like, if you start to engage and then all of a sudden you get like a weird phone call from a character, then it's like, that that's, can be a little bit invasive in the way that this game and in some ways tabletop RPGs can also kind of intrude on your... Uh, your life, I, guess, I don't know exactly this word I'm searching for here, but kind of because they're both such immersive spaces, then I think consent is all the more important. So I, I worked on designing this ARG. It was for my school, actually, for freshman orientation. Um, and I thought it was of the utmost importance that we make sure in each part of it to give them a chance to opt out. They, like, they could not be forced to experience things and I wanted to let them know like what sort of things they were experienced before they entered into it and give them the chance to like still be a part of the game but not necessarily have to be a part of this part of the game. And I think that that's something, like obviously they're, they're both impro improvisational forms of gaming and so you have to be able to change and modify as things go on. I think this is the most important way that we can change and modify is that so if someone doesn't consent to experience, we need to be able to adjust to that. Um. Well, I think that um, there's a crossover point with, with Camden's game there, like how there's an ongoing, uh, your game build from the ground up, the, the ongoing process of are you okay with this trauma, are you okay with yes, this? Yes, absolutely. So that it, it works in a similar way, so that you set the foundation and as you go, you always have the ability to opt out. Uh, what about consent as more opt-in? Because earlier when we were talking about the safety flower, um, and I was talking about the LARP thing, because somebody, I'm trying to remember who it was, but I won't name their name, just because you know the mistakes are mine, uh, was explaining the consent flower to me. They were like, red is no, orange is careful, green is go, 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 go. Um, so what about that? What about when consent isn't just people wanting to opt out, but is wanting more? Can you clarify, like, what, what are you asking me specifically? Uh, I'm not <laughs> asking you specifically. Um, does anybody here know what the LARP term bleed means? Oh. Okay, right. <laughs> uh, does anybody here know what not, know, not know what the LARP term bleed means? Okay, bleed is when you have, okay, there's lots of different definitions. I think possibly the least controversial definition is going to be when Bleed is when there is an emotional, empathic exchange in, in emotional states between you and your character where you feel things even after the game is over as though you were still in your character. Um, and there is a thing that is very popular among Nordic edgelords such as myself which is called play for bleed. Which is when you play deliberately to go into a state where you're going to have an empathic exchange between your character that might continue beyond the end of the moment of play. Um, 
and consent obviously is a very important thing around this because uh, having it as we've already I think established having a place of safety allows you to play that and to feel safe but where I think it can get tricky and this was with the 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 AR games is what if you're in a LARP or in a game and somebody else is playing for bleed and you're really not okay with that how do we negotiate those things Shit, you guys asked for me to be the moderator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want hard questions. No, it's definitely an ongoing sort of, yeah. That's, I've seen that come up in, in different spaces. Like, even if you're talking about, like, GMs, like, if your players want something that you don't want to dish out, you know, that's tough also. So I guess the only thing you can say about it is consent goes both ways, and it's an ongoing conversation for that reason. I think in some ways gaming is a way to model the things that you want to see in the world, which I think that shows up in different ways. For the for the ARG, that was one of our crucial ideas of like, we want to like create a positive environment for this freshman class coming in. How do we create a world that they can then take with them out into the real world? And so that was very explicit. I think for like horror games or games that we wouldn't actually want to live inside, that gets a little bit more complicated. But I think that comes back to this idea of like, when we talk about consent and safety like this, it is a very privileged talk. We are able to use safety tools in these spaces, but people in marginalized groups don't have that option in the real world. That's mm -hmm. not what it looks like. And I very much believe that we should try to create spaces where we can model like this ideal thing and try to spread, like use them to disseminate out into the world. And so I think that in these cases, like even horror games, like the way that we go about addressing this horror the way that we use these safety techniques is is kind of a little module of what can hopefully be something that becomes more wider spread in society. You're uh, talking about Macian socialism in RPG form. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, if you put this on the internet, I'm gonna get hate mail. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> That'll just make it Tuesday. Camden, thoughts about using games and consent mechanics in games as a way to teach people to do it outside of games, potentially. Uh, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's no secret that uh, I design games to be emotionally manipulative and <laughs> to try and force people into being decent human beings and <laughs> listening more than they talk. Um, <laughs> um, and you can send me all the hate mail you want for that. Um, I, I, I agree 100% with what Sam said. And um, I think that it is one baby step in creating expectations expectations uh, of consent, expectations of kindness, expectations of human decency. And um, I think that any step, any community where we can create those expectations can ripple out into ways that we don't necessarily see. And hopefully that, that spreads. So Eli, when Cameron was saying expectations, you were like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, oh man, it was it. It did relate to a personal thing, though. But um, how do I? This comes up in uh, in my relationship a lot about expectations because there's different uh, marginalizations that work against each other, and so um, where we cause where the things that hurt us the most are when expectations have not been managed. Mm. Yeah. So like. Um, if you, like yeah, if you go into a game thinking this is gonna be uh, a, like a fun romp, and it turns out that people are like talking about like murdering left, right, and center, that's a bummer, you know. So 
yeah, I'm not sure what else to say on that. It just resonated with me, but I didn't have a like a formulated point. Brand, what have you done? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so, trying to get people to, to, to yeah, say what they I, think. I guess. I, yeah, I think that uh, what you said. I mean, there that's having clear expectations and an understanding yeah. is that honest communication is the foundation of all that so that yeah. people aren't going into it with, with different ideas of what yeah. that means. And yeah. so if you say this is a space where every you will, you will have agency to consent yeah. to what happens or doesn't happen, yeah. um, there needs to be a clear foundation for what that actually means so that yeah. everyone can get on the same page. Yeah, and on that note, and again, I'm keep being afraid I'm getting into the weeds, is like also being open when someone, um, uh, like for lack of a better term, calls you out or, or critiques like what you're doing and how it, it sort of steps on what they're consenting to and just like knowing that um, it's not that they're calling you a bad person or whatever and that they think that you've done something bad, but like intent and impact are two different things and you do need to be responsible for impact even if it wasn't part of your intent. And I think especially once again there's a whole panel there man like Yeah, I know. No, no, you have such good points but I'm like okay. I mean, and next time I'll do two panels on safe spaces I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, will, I will I will absolutely attend that panel. Yeah. Um, I think that you, Sam you brought up a little bit of that earlier. Um, like in the AR example uh, part of it was in the the AI example that you gave. Mm -hmm. it, there was a dishonesty there. There was a, yeah. a trickery, uh, which leads me to what will probably be our final question as we're running low on time. So, like, how does consent apply to things like ye olde hoary GM chestnut tricks of the big surprising plot twist reveal? I think I think there's a difference between signaling theme and signaling plot. Um, so throughout a horror game, people have, have expectations based on what you're doing thematically. Mm -hmm. So like, while you might throw a plot twist at them, I don't feel like that's a betrayal of their consent because it's something that's in, in the narrative, mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily a vast departure from the, the atmosphere of what they were expecting. Right. Cameron. Uh, yeah, I, um, I I think that the place where that becomes dangerous is where um, and, and what these tools are all about. When the person, when the facilitator, when the GM takes that moment of um, it is all about them, and they forget that mm -hmm. they're playing a game with other people, um, that's when those plot twists become because it's selfish. It's <laughs> um, yeah, so. Sorry, what was, it was... Um, GM plot twists, the difference between uh, being honest about theme and necessarily needing to forecast plot. Right, yeah. Um, oh man. Yeah, I'm not sure I have something to add on that. <laughs> that won't put us over time. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and there is the fourth panel for next year from Eli. Okay. Uh, so we got about five, six minutes left. Are there any questions or anything that. Yes, Whitney. Um, so I actually wanted to go into like kind of uh, into the plot twist thing, actually. Is that I like doing, um, for a game, I like doing a layer thing where for it's expectations, comfort levels, and then consent. So um, I'll use one theme like death. So death could either be the emotions that happen with death and, you know, gory zombie 
attacking thing, death. So in one example, um, with me and, uh, and uh, someone who's running Glubia's Bride, we had like silent consent, like I, she knows that I'm okay, that she cranks it to 11, she knows that I know that, so it's okay, it's perfectly safe. And um, so if she deals any plot twist that's horrible, she knows I'm okay with it. So uh, another example is if I'm, I'm running a game for someone else, I'm like, okay, you have a spouse, is it okay if your spouse ends up being dead? So, and then she, and she, and because, and we were friends, so I, I, I wanted to, you know, make sure she felt safe, and she said yes. So we went through the game, and then it turns out her spouse was undead the entire time, but she wasn't aware of that because it was the person looked of health. And even though I told her ahead of time, and she didn't um, expect it to hit her emotionally like it was, but she knew ahead of time that was going to happen, so I didn't like, you know, rip the um, rug from under her and say, surprise, bitch, she's dead. <laughs> she's dead. It's like, so there is ways making a plot twist, but still acknowledging that I want you to make sure you're okay with that twist ahead of time yeah. without ruining the surprise. So what were the three levels again? I liked it, but now I've lost them. Um, expectations, comfort levels, then consent. Expectation, comfort level, then consent. Yes. Cool, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thoughts from the panel? That's smart. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it actually it does relate to something I kind of wanted to bring up that I find difficult is when people want to keep secrets in games, and I think you can have them in games, but you've got to make sure that there's a way for people to uh, uh, to know uh, what goes in, like what's going to happen, um, and engage with it. So, so send uh, us uh, written about this a little, and there's a, uh, the whole difference between a player secret and a character secret. Yes. And keeping those two things very yeah. separate, I think, is a very healthy thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Player secrets tend player secrets tend to be problematic. Yeah. Character secrets tend to be awesome, mm -hmm. especially when everybody else is in and supporting it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd agree with that as a general principle, although I can think of one game where I've seen character secrets that went like, okay, so, uh, <laughs> goddamn, okay, more hate mail incoming, Monsingor 1244, is anybody familiar with this game? Okay, it is a freeform game that is set in a Cathar castle just before it gets taken over by the Spanish, not the Spanish, the French Inquisition and everybody dies. One of the characters, it's a character secret, but it's a secret one of the characters has on their card something that kind of indicates that there was sexual violence between them and another character at some point in the game. Um, and the person who may, and the person who had the sexual violence perpetrated upon them, the player gets to choose what other character that was. And I think the design intent there was that the person that was the recipient of the violence gets to have consent and control over who it was. The problem that happens in actual play is, and I don't know what the hell it is about me, but every time I play Monsignor, someone's pointed at me and been like, yeah, and that's when you sexually assaulted me. And I'm like, no, please, hard no. Right. Um, so yes, I agree with it in theory, but let's always remember that um, role-playing games involve exchanges of vulnerability and intimacy, and I think we need to always remember. You're, you're both yeah, pointing at me. Go we ahead. Both having the same. I think we, the thought, which is that's a character secret to me, because that's a secret that the character has. And to me, in game, that should be something that you, as a player, know and can consent to. Beforehand. The characters or, don't need to know that back and forth. But, but the as players, players do. you do. Right. Like or even, even at the start. Yes, exactly. Even at the start of the game, from a consent perspective, acknowledging that okay, listen, there's one a of, card out. One here. of these yeah. cards has it. If anyone 
is completely uncomfortable being the potential person. Yeah, opt, opt out, out opt now. Opt out now. The way, the way I do it when I run Monsignor these days is, I, is I'm, I give out that card and I'm like, um, you need to, during a break, go and find somebody, ask them specifically, and unless they give informed consent out of character beforehand, don't. don't. Right, which is yeah. dealing with it at the player yeah. level. Right. Yeah, players. Yeah, yeah. Right. because you have to have consent. Right. Yeah. Welcome, Lee. Hi. Sorry Hi. for barging in. It's okay. Was early for the next panel. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. no, you so were so exactly. fascinated by the fascinating things we were saying in this fascinating panel, you had to come in. That, yes, that, exactly. Awesome. Okay, so we are about at time. We have maybe time for one more quick thing. First, let me check with the panel. Anything that you feel really powerfully needs to be said that you have not had a chance to say? Um, I guess in terms of consent, both when it comes up here and both when it comes up in the ter in the field that it's used in, which is general more sexual, people mm -hmm. are like, oh, well, it seems so awkward and gawky to ask for consent, but I mean, A, like that shouldn't matter, like safety matters first, but B, like if we're going back to like sexual things it's like you can just it, it, it's easy to ask like hey sh can I do this can I do that and in a very subtle way and I think that can be slipped into gaming in a way that doesn't have to be like let's make a big thing about this it's just like subtle ways to give them a chance to say yes or no to the next level of what's going to happen uh, yeah I think we're a lot of people are under this impression that um, think cool things only happen when they're spontaneous and organic and no one knows ahead of time. But that's just not how life works. And I think like uh, it's part of that happens because of like the way more things are portrayed in media, like um, I sexual, but like porn is like that. It's like no one has to talk ahead of time what they're gonna do. But you, they do off screen, you know. So I mean, Aristotle said that in order to actually have proper catharsis, you have to have some understanding of what's going to happen. The Latin professor is giving me hate face now. Uh, <laughs> I'm just smiling. Okay. <laughs> Cameron. Yeah, no, I, I agree with what's been said. Um, yeah. Well, cool. Um, in that case, we've got four minutes till the next panel. I would like to thank you all. Once again, our panelists were Sam, who, what are you running here? I am running Passing, which is a game about shape-shifting aliens in the 1950s trying to pass as human, and it's a game about queer erasure. I think I get to play that because I'm so lucky. Camden, what are you playing here? Uh, I'm running uh, One Child's Heart today and a new game uh, called Breathe about uh, people who are running out of oxygen and what you will uh, take or sacrifice to either survive or have the people around you survive. I don't think I got to play that because my life sucks completely. <laughs> and Eli, what are you running here? I'm running Oops. Please Save. Two yeah, I'm running Please Save uh, Our um, Please Save Our Village, Yay. which is like a uh, Magnificent Seven slash Samurai Seven inspired game where you go through the story arc of being hero sacrificing yourself to save a small town. And then the other game, it's a focus group, but it's about um, a small town where there's a monster. Um, but it uses secrets as a mechanic and the way that you can use secrets to both uh, help and bolster people or kind of like dominate them. All of these sound like relevant games to this subject. Okay, <laughs> thank you everybody. You have been a wonderful uh, co-panelist, frankly, because y'all contributed <laughs> very well. Thank you very much. <laughs>